on his way. Devil is on his way. Devil is on his way, motherfucker. The devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees. Devil is on his way. Fall to your knees. Devil gonna make you pay. Mountain Murders is an Appalachian true crime podcast. Listener discretion is advised. The show contains graphic language and depictions of violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. We say fuck a lot. Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. Yes, you are. Oh man, I feel pretty good today. It's a great week. It's beautiful. It's been really warm and sunny here in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Yeah, me, we've been playing a little tennis, though we both suck at it, doing a little fishing. Trying to get out and about, enjoy the outdoors as much as possible without crowding in. There's a lot of people here, visitors, a lot of -of out-of-state tags. I understand people have cabin fever and all, but, you know, we go to like a swimming hole and if there's like... 30 people, we just turn around and leave. Just keep, <laughs> we yeah, don't even come, bother with Come right stuff. back to the house, get a coffee, go back home. But yeah, we understand people want to get out because we feel the same way. But we avoid the public at all costs, which we always have. Right? So Be safe, strange. wear a mask, keep six feet apart, wash your hands. I'm your mama now, kids. Yeah, that's right. Just, just basic hygiene, people. Listen to your mama. Listen to your mama. Does that mean you're going to be their daddy, Dylan? Yeah, I'll be your daddy. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Ooh. I forgot we're recording. Oh, wait. Just kidding. (laughs) Wait. No, I will be your father figure as well, if you don't want me to be your daddy. Yeah. I will be your preacher teacher. Anything. Okay. Okay. I feel like this is not good. George Michael. Yeah. I'm not going to comment anymore because I believe this uh, podcast may be brought into a court setting at some point. Okay, (laughs) what do you have for us today, this week in True Crime News? Well, of course, the case that does not stop giving, it just keeps on, is the Lori Vallow case. They are going to, uh, right quick, move forward with proceedings face-to-face in person. And they're going to take all necessary precautions, but her, Lori, and Chad Daybell will be in person in court, and we will see what happens after that. I see that they did drop a couple of earlier charges but i'm just wondering if they're gearing up to bring what they're they really want to bring against them so it'd be interesting to see it um, play out in court more true crime news of course is the arrest of Jelaine maxwell i like to call her jizz lane jizz lane just like the last podcast guys call her good yep. old jizz lane um she was arrested and of course she was accomplice cohort yes but you with were, jeffrey epstein you were telling me about a possible epic bombshell she may be sitting on i don't know if everyone knows about that do you want to tell us a little bit about that well from what i've been reading and understanding is you know epstein had a new york apartment that was wired completely for video and sound so somewhere he entertained and the belief is that they filmed for blackmail purposes exploitation purposes which let's face it that's been something that our own government has done to people i'm sure for years that's Um, totally what a a dirt bag like epstein a power player he's always thinking about uh, you know an angle where he can have the dirt that's totally something he would do i mean and if i was in his position you know if i was a piece of shit like him in the power setting that he was i would do it why wouldn't you well from what they're gathering is that he taped as well as you know having jelaine help 
uh, tape these encounters with the higher ups that are involved in all of this child sex trafficking and pedophilia and all this bullshit. Um, and those tapes were missing. And they speculate that Ghislaine has all of that film evidence in and, her possession. Yeah. So, that, I mean, could you imagine? So there's a lot of theory that she's probably going to play ball, make a deal. Of course, she's very wealthy, elite. She doesn't want to spend a day in jail that she doesn't have to. No, but she could possibly use this as a bargaining chip. And there could be, who knows? We're talking this goes across the political spectrum, all over the entertainment industry. There's possibly... I mean, a photo recently surfaced of Ghislaine with Kevin Spacey sitting on the Queen's throne as guests of Prince Andrew in England. Yeah, and now knowing what we know... About Kevin Spacey being... And her. Rapey. How big a deal is that? (laughs) So there's possibly these bombshell videos, full audio, full, you know, HD, I'm sure the best cameras out there floating around of all these different people. Who knows who's involved? I mean, so many people took rides on the Lolita Express. Oh, my God. You was go- Bill Clinton was like at 26 flight or 22 flight logs. Yeah, you said he started as soon as he left office. It was like 2000 to 2003, something and like 22 trips on the Lolita Express, as yeah. it's been dubbed. And this is a he's, he's a man of means with plenty of money, so it's very interesting. Kevin that- Spacey. Uh, comedian, actor, Chris Tucker, Naomi Campbell. Now, a lot of these celebrities have come out and said, hey, we had no idea this kind of thing was going on. And some of these trips like, were to Africa and they were for like mission humanitarian types of work. I believe that. But uh, unfortunately, and, and this obviously is not politically motivated, but uh, Clinton going 26 times, that don't look good. Well, and he already has a history of being kind of a rapey perv. And he's kind of uh, rapey. Kind of creepy. And so these other people that go over and over, uh, Trump loved him some Epstein too. So let's go ahead and throw that across, back across the aisle. And there so, have been, you know, speculations, uh, accusations, whatever, thrown around about both Clint, um, Clinton and Trump. Yeah. And we'll oh, just call him Clump. Yeah, Clump. Yeah, there, just... Hey, let's see. here's what it is, guys. <laughs> this isn't, you know, don't get, we don't want to go against each other. This is elitist doing elite bullshit. And when these people get to a certain point where you have all the toys, all the riches. Politics you aside. Yeah. Party aside. Elitist. All of these people who are in charge. Yes. Don't genuinely give a fuck about you or me. And they don't wake up they thinking about elitist. their lot bill. They wake up thinking about what they're going to do next to make another million and make their friends rich. They don't give a fuck about us. Yes. And after years and years of having all the toys going everywhere in the world, having power, true power, what do you do to feel alive? What do you do to do something that other people can't do because you have all this money and connections? I think that a lot of them fuck with young children, young people, young girls, young boys. That's what they do. Well, and I think that any person who has those fantasies, desires, given circumstances where they know they will never be punished. Exactly. Because they are in power, or they have money, and they have friends in high places, they're going to fucking do that. Yeah, we were watching, what was it, the mayor of the Virgin Islands or whatever, describe Epstein, how private it was. He came into the private airport, part of the airport, in his jet, with his drivers, all his security detail. And yes, the locals did see him coming in and out with young people, young women, over and over. What the fuck are they going to do about it, honestly? Well, you know, we have so much infighting here in the United States politically. It's pitting family members against each other. 
people get outraged and, and everybody gets up in arms about how you identify politically, what you affiliate with, whatever. Long-term but, friends won't speak to each other anymore. But the bottom line is we should all realize this is just divisive and it's to keep us all at each other's throats while these people rob us blind and rape our country yeah. and they don't really give a fuck about the working people who are basically you and me and the people who are listening to this podcast. Yeah, we're all the same in that respect. And so Epstein would come in with all his private everything and whisk these young ladies um, and girls away and whoever guests were with him to his private island, which is literally like a compound, protected security force. And so there's nothing there. This is what these elite sons of bitches do. Well, we all know that. And we know the story of Epstein. And so now the question is, how long is Ghislaine going to survive? Uh, she gonna she might be suicidal as well, huh? Or infected with coronavirus, but it's deadly. Oh, she got the she got the COVID. Something. Yeah. I mean, so of course, folks are wondering uh, how long she's gonna make it, or how long before the records are sealed beyond any kind of public right. information. Well, and that's why you know our last episode when we talked about Alyssa Kenny and her daughter Anastasia Alley, and we're both outraged about the sex predator laws in this country, the punishments that these predators, these pedophiles, these rapists. They get less time than somebody caught with pot. Somebody caught with pot. And it's or fucking bullshit. But this is why right here, because the people who are in charge, the people who are running the show, don't want stiffer penalties because it's exactly what they're fucking doing. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They are the ones who literally write the laws or push for laws to be changed. And this is why a piece of shit like uh, Richard in our last story can have a cell phone that shows him abusing toddlers and babies and he only gets six, 60 years for that right that's it's bullshit not nearly enough nope punishment. that should be a death penalty there so okay, anyway Dylan, well we've had enough talking about our true crime obsession Things oh it makes me want to punch a i know baby this is we, we're just gonna rally when we stop recording okay okay but let's get into today's case i think folks are gonna enjoy hearing the story because it's so unusual Yes, it's a very unusual case, and uh, you stumbled across this. Actually, you stumbled across some really good ones there in a row as you dug around on in the Ethernet. My research. Yeah, and uh, this is a very good story, so let's dive into it. Okay, buckle up, folks. Attorney Seth Bader and his wife Vicki married in 1991, and by 1992, the couple had moved to New Hampshire, settling in the small but tony town of Exeter. Have you heard of Exeter? Uh, no, I have not. We'll talk a little bit about it here in a moment. Three tumultuous years later, their marriage ended and left Vicky a broken woman. Well, that's not cool. Exeter is a town in Rockingham County, New Hampshire. It's home to the Phillips Exeter Academy, a private university preparatory school, which I'm sure a lot of the people we were just talking about in the Epstein ring... Probably send their kids to the school. Oh, my God, it sounds like where those people live at. Ex Exeter is situated where the Exeter River feeds the tidal Squamscott River. Oh, God, that I'm sounds sticky. butchering that. Ooh. The Amtrak Downeaster. <laughs> our, our folks from New England will appreciate my attempt at a Massachusetts uh, the Downeaster um, stops at Exeter, and it provides passenger rail service to Portland and Boston, so it's a very moneyed area full of bougie people who live in nice houses and mostly work in the city. It's an easy commute to get into Boston, Portland, 
Yeah, it sounds like where they're going to have their little, their beautiful, modest estates so they can shoot in and out of the city. Okay. And in the live free or die state, guns are prevalent. In 1990, the Sig Arms Incorporated Company moved to Exeter. When it was bought by Michael Luke and Thomas Ortmeyer in October of 2000, the name was changed to Sig Sauer Inc. And today, Sig Sauer is one of the largest firearm manufacturing entities in the world. They make some badass handguns, y'all. Seth Bader happened to be a gun enthusiast, and he loved living in this gun-friendly state. He enjoyed turkey hunting, shooting, being outdoors, and he passed along his love of firearms uh, to his sons and kind of used this as a way to bond. Even if his kids weren't really into turkey hunting, they're going. They would tag along. It was a way to hang out with dad, and it was something that he really enjoyed. Tried to use this as like a you know bonding experience. Yeah, I think it's a good point. To, this guy was really a gun enthusiast, which is fine. I know gun enthusiasts; they're they're fine people, and I like to go shooting all day myself, various weapons. But um, he was such a gun enthusiast. The fact, the acceptance, and the the culture, gun culture and hunting culture there in this area literally is one of the reasons he picked the move there. So he was really into it. And he had the money, being a lawyer, to put into it. And the gun culture, when we talk about that, it's not just the modern firearms. He was a collector of many antique guns, muskets. Well, yes. All of that stuff, but had a lot of antique ammunition. Yeah. Things uh, that were no longer even used, mu- you know, in modern firearms. Museum quality pieces. And so he's just a huge, which a lot of those are beautiful, the etching, the craftsmanship. I agree. They're very beautiful uh, to look upon. Well, the couple had three children together. Joseph and Matt Bader were adopted by Seth and Vicki. Joey was a relative. He was a cousin of Seth's. And he was born in 1982. And it sounds like maybe Joseph didn't have the best home life or best parental kind of situation so Seth being the cousin stepped in he had the financial means he adopted Joey took him in yeah it sounds like a good thing to do to help you even that doesn't mean those people were you know pieces of shit or anything that could just had health issues or you know significant financial setbacks or anything number of things could have happened but I think that shows some character you know to take I would do that for my family if I had the means just take him in him being a lawyer obviously he wants to go all the way and adopt him So he can, you know, have full control and all that. So that makes sense. The couple also had a third child, a biological son named Sam. And things were seemingly going well for this couple. Seth was a successful attorney, afforded to give his family a pretty nice lifestyle. Yeah, it was said that he had a small practice, but very profitable. So he was very good at what he did. And by all accounts, folks looking in on the situation outsiders, people in the community, friends, family. I mean, they seem to be like a picture-perfect family. No, that, and that's a very cliche true crime term because we all know that often behind the closed door, things aren't what they seem. But they live in a nice fancy house. He's got money. Vicky stays at home. They've got these three kids. It just seems like everything's going great, right? And Vicky is a loving mother who also has a fairly close relationship with her own mother, Lois. They're always in contact, like best friends. Uh, yeah, well, um, I wish I had a family like that. <laughs> <laughs> Lois is involved in her grandkids' lives, and she's often around. Vicky becomes pregnant with twins around the time they move to Exeter. 
and she ends up having a miscarriage, which sends Vicky into a deep depression. Unable to snap out of the sinking feelings she's having, she becomes really disconnected from everyone. Yeah, as a man, I can only imagine how that affects a woman, but I think even more, you know, twins. I mean, it's two instead of one, one little baby. But uh, I'm sure that's just devastating to her to lose them like that. Her mother, Lois, is disturbed by Vicky's behavior. Vicky becomes disinterested in her husband, the marriage. It just seems like she's pulling away from everyone. The kids. Yeah, this sounds to me um, a layman that is some type of postpartum or, you know, it's postpartum depression. Of course, she, they didn't, she didn't carry the children to term, but I still think... That all, with all those uh, chemicals and every, hormones, everything yeah. going on in your body because of the pregnancy, that that stuff can be some of the worst type of depression that there is, period. She just seemed very vacant. The normally social, fun-loving Vicky just wasn't being herself. She just seemed really vacant, out of touch, didn't really want to engage in conversation. She just was very, very unhappy. Yeah. And from accounts, Seth tried to please Vicky. He would buy her expensive gifts, that kind of thing, but nothing seemed to help. Yes, and when you withdraw like that, even if it's obviously for a very serious, a, re a good reason, if you will, that could lead to other complications in a relationship. Vicky's depression begins taking its toll on the marriage. Not only does Vicky's mental health take effect on her husband, but Joey, her adopted son who as a young teenager feels the trouble churning. He takes the opportunity with an absent mother figure to act out. Joey's a good-looking kid who gets the attention of neighborhood girls. He's naturally a leader among the other kids. Some describe Joey as mischievous, always pulling pranks, getting into trouble, pushing the envelope to see what he can get away with, testing limits. He also bullies his little brother, Sam, sometimes. And with B Vicky being absent-minded from the situation and withdrawn, not being like that active parental figure, Seth really has to take on the role of sole disciplinarian. Yeah, I mean, he sounds like he's a, he's a bright, good-looking kid, to maybe a top-A personality, very outgoing. But yeah, I could see with a her kind of withdrawing into herself, you know, you know, backing off of her parental duties a little bit because of the sadness and depression. I could see him kind of, you know, taking it, you know, we're, we've all been young before and you're already feeling your oats. So, yeah, I could see him kind of, you know, running wild a little bit. Taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. And you also have to realize a lot of times when there's trouble at home, be it an extremely depressed parent, marriage isn't what it should be. Kids look for an opportunity to act out, and often it's negative attention. Well, yeah, they're because kids they can say what they want and be the surly teenager and all that. Kids want structure; they want interaction from their uh, they parent, want parental boundaries. figures. They do. They want rules. I mean, when your parents are involved in your life, even if they're telling you no, you can't do that. Right. It gives you a sense when you're a kid of knowing they care about you. They love you. They want what's best for you. Yeah, my oldest daughter Willow. You know, I, you know, she had a little period of try acting out, being a little rebel and all that. And I would, you know, I'm on her ass, you know, riding it, trying to get her. And she would. She's told me later she would complain to her friends, and some of her friends would be like, "Well, at least your dad cares." So I mean, that's a you know that that's a, that's what they really want. They want structure. With the eroding relationship and his feeling like the only 
active parent, Seth starts feeling pressure and he begins having an affair. Yeah, yep, that's what happens and it's it's unfortunate. At some point, Seth goes to a business meeting in Massachusetts, but stays out way past an appropriate hour for a meeting. Suspicious, Vicky rummages through his belongings and discovers that Seth is being unfaithful. Yeah, because Seth is a, a goofball and has a damn receipt for the hotel room in his pocket. What a dumbass. Much to her dismay, Vicky confronts Seth about the affair. And, you know, she's heartbroken over this. She's super depressed. Still reeling at the loss of these twins, this miscarriage. She's not in a good place. No, no. And, and then finds the snooze out. Yeah, I've been depressed before. And I know how you feel. You can get uh, your body image, your self-confidence, everything goes down mixed in with the depression. She's lost, you know, her children and, you know, her little babies. And then this heaped on top of that, even if she has been going through all this and Maybe in the back of her mind, her mind, she knows she's been withdrawn and all this stuff, because that's what's so mean about depression is you can. It's almost like you're trapped in a bubble and you're looking out and you see all the things in your life kind of going to pieces and you know all the stuff you should be doing, you need to be doing, but you just can't do it. So this is heaped on top of all that, and it really makes you feel for her. Well, and here's a betrayal on top. Of everything that's going on at a time when she feels like she needs her husband most. Yeah, devastating. It's a crucial time for her. And so for him to step out, I mean, that yeah, I can only imagine how she was feeling. But he tells her he needs a release from all the stress. That's his excuse. Like, this is a shitty situation. I can't keep going on. I need a release from all this pressure. Yeah, but he seems still want to be engaged. Like, hey, I've made a mistake. I want to, you know, get back into this relationship. Well, in rage, she kicks him to the curb and she tells him to leave their home. And at first, during the early stages of the divorce proceedings, things appear to be amicable between the baiters. Seth continues living in the family home, but buys Vicky a house across town. They meet up at Seth's house to exchange the kids, and the divorce seems to be going okay for a period. But things quickly go astray when Seth gets a girlfriend. Oh, I didn't see that coming, did you? Now, we all know that bringing a new partner in, especially before the other relationship has ended and this divorce is not finalized, is a potential to cause problems. Hell, I know people who've moved on from relationships, but then freak the fuck out when they find out their ex is seeing someone else. Oh, God, hello, hitting close to home, that ain't it? Jealousy, everything. <laughs> well, yeah, if you're off doing your thing, but you know, and you're like, well, I'm making plans, I might, you know, start dating. And then all of a sudden, here's this third party into the situation. And then all those feelings come up, you know, even if you hate that person, even if you should be apart, all those feelings still come up. Vicky goes to pick up the kids from Seth's house for visitation, and she's confronted with this tall, leggy, voluptuous, blonde bombshell who's in her early 30s named Mary Jean Martin. So she's younger, she's attractive, long-legged, probably walking around and not afraid to show it off is the way she's described. That's going to make it even freaking worse, dude. Well, yeah, I mean, Vicky is a very attractive woman in her own right. Oh, she is. But, you know, she's the mom. She's probably a little bit more um, conservative in her dress. Well, it's no different than if Vicky had shown up 
with a, a younger bow, 6'3", 220. With washboard abs. Washboard abs, the big, tall, you know, handsome guy who's funny and outgoing, and, you know, the kids love him. That's that's the type of thing that gets a dude. Yeah. He, he's I, got money. You know, he can do all the things you can do. Plus, he's got a big old personality. See? Hey. I mean, judging from photos, it's clear that Mary Jean is out of Seth's league, and I'll be sure to post some of those photos on social media so you guys can see for yourselves. Seth is short, chubby, not particularly good-looking. I mean, I know that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, so maybe Seth's got skills we don't know about. Perhaps. And he's got that loop. But Mary Jean is attractive, and they visually make an odd couple. It's likely... Maybe she saw dollar signs with Seth. Who knows? Maybe uh, she really liked his personality. Even if she didn't, that's what everyone's going to assume. But friends, people in town, all commented and noted that they thought it was an odd couple. Well, and she was out of his league. You know, she's way too hot for him. She's hot. She's younger. I mean, you're just kind of asking for it for all some other kinds of complications to arise from this situation. Vicky and Mary Jean have some words. When they have this meeting at the house. And Vicky's very upset because the divorce isn't even official yet. And Seth has moved on to the point of moving this other woman into her house and proposing to this woman. Yeah, I know. But if only Vicky would just take a step or two back and say, well, I do. He did buy me this other house. I mean, who the hell can do that? That's rich people moves. And I do have a footing to move on with my life. But hey, got to be honest, I'd probably feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. This is our home. This is where our kids were raised. There's, you know, that has its own aura. That has its own special, you know, and she's hurt. Exactly. I understand. Yeah. And the news of Seth's engagement to Mary Jean sends her into more of a depression. She's really angry, and it seems strange. Things kind of begin to happen to Vicky. She confides in her mother that she feels pranks are being played on her or that someone is purposefully trying to mess with her. Yeah, and see, coming off... Having been depressed, very depressed, and all the other issues she's dealt with, I think it would be my natural, if someone told me this and I knew all their history, I'd be like, uh, well, yeah, I know he's got the new young girl, she's hot, and I think maybe you're just, you know, being a little bit, little much, is this really happening, or are you, you know, what are you doing here? She claims her tires are slashed on her vehicle, she's paranoid, talks about being stalked, that someone is following her, watching her. She also says she thinks it's one of her relatives. Oh, well, that's weird. Someone from the Bader household. And this all sounds odd to others, almost delusional. Lois and others kind of brush off Vicky's claims, thinking maybe she's just really upset or possibly making up things for attention. Yeah, and, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, if you really do, if you you know it's real or not, if you do have a feeling like someone's watching you or you keep getting that, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck, that is an instinct that goes to the lizard part of your brain. That's some real shit. So if you're experiencing that over and over, this unsettling feeling, but you're trying to tell people and they're kind of like, well, Not you taking know, you seriously. Oh, could, yeah, that'd be very disconcerting. Meanwhile, the Bader household has not gone back to normal. While Mary Jean is living at the house, the dynamic is odd. According to reports, Mary Jean usually dresses in very sexy clothing, often scantily clad, which, of course, everyone notices. Yes, you live everyone. In this small town, people are in your business. 
And then you've got this hot toddy walking around and like a bikini around the house. Yeah, and she's out there working the roses and flowers and stuff, scantily clad with the boobs dangling. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, no. everybody's talking, but guess who else takes notices? I could only imagine. Or takes a notice, sorry. Uh, teenage Joey. Oh, no, not the good looking kid. His hormones are raging and he develops a crush on Mary Jean. Joey's friends would later state that the teen was obsessed with Mary Jean, often asking them if, you know, they thought she was hot, talking about how much he was into her. And it's unfortunate. He's a young kid. This could easily happen, you know, have these feelings and stuff. But that's so, that's wholly inappropriate in the setting. But, you know, a lot of times a young kid doesn't realize that or doesn't admit it to themselves. But if it's just a young kid doing it, it's not a big deal, right? Hey, thinks she's hot. She's younger. Who wouldn't think she's hot? Well, guess what, Joey? Pornhub has a whole category just for you. Oh, God. The titles alone make me grow, feel gross. All the stepmom, stepsister, stepdad porn is... Oh, wow. Well, the titles... I read in an article about how gross the titles were. I haven't seen any of them. Okay. Let's move this story along. Let's go. <laughs> that's, a, that's an uncomfortable pause. You're not supposed to have dead air on a like content. Okay. Yeah, me and all the other... Women out there who have husbands and boyfriends and partners. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're all giving you the same look, Dylan. Wait, is it, oh, but you know what? You guys look at it, too, so I'm not I'm not being fooled. Well, I'm not looking at the stepsister stuff. Well, I'm not looking at that either, because that's fucking, I'm serious. serious. And here, okay, just in all seriousness, the titles and stuff are gross, and I don't understand why they have to do this to just make a porn. Like Joe Dirt, you're my sister, you're my sister. Just, it's like, <laughs> okay, I, okay, yeah, enough. Yeah, as but, tensions escalate between the Baders, Vicky, Seth, divorce not going well, Mary Jean's in the picture. Yeah. A lot of animosity out there. Vicky walks into her house one day and finds it full of smoke. Clearly something is burning, and as she makes her way into the kitchen, she sees that there's something in the oven. Yes. Knowing she didn't leave anything cooking, baking, what have you. She thinks, okay, well, maybe her mother has been there, left something unattended. But as she opens the door on the oven, she realizes her pet birds, her parakeets, have been charred in the oven. Now, these are her prized possession. I mean, she loves these birds like they're her kids, not she's just a, a pet. She's definitely like a pet lover. She's yes. got these birds and she has cats. And everyone talks about how she was this animal lover and that these animals, the cats and the birds, were like children. So she some, cared for them. These were her babies. That's some fatal attraction shit right there. Now, could you imagine after the things she's went through, the feeling she's had, wondering if somebody's messing with her? No matter what anyone else thinks about what's going on, she's not going to do this to her birds, her loved pets. I mean, this is insane. And I could only imagine what's going through her head when she pulls that oven door down. And there's a little birds all baked up in the oven. Someone has intentionally placed her pet birds in the oven, killing them, and then leaving the birds so Vicky would find them. Vicky is distraught, and she believes it is Seth or Mary Jean who has done this. And she calls the authorities, obviously, to report this and uh, wants something done about it. A few days after the bird incident, Mary Jean goes to walk her dog. But what she finds is equally as disturbing. Mary Jean's dog is dead, later revealed to be poisoned with antifreeze, and she immediately suspects Vicky is responsible and that this is in retaliation for the birds. 
New to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com. Well, somebody, yeah, so now this is a spiraling out of control. I've seen things like this on uh, these uh, nightmare neighbors where they kind of start arguing over something dumb, a tree getting cut down or something, and, and these one-up, like, I'm fucking with you pranks kind of at first. And so this is the type of thing that really gets people worked up because she loved her dog, you know, equally. She loved her pets. And so this is a type of thing that can really help a situation spiral out of control. Mary Jean is furious, fueling her further hatred of Vicky. They already don't like each other. A lot of hatred flowing between the two. But this situation with the dog and the birds is just adding fuel to the fire. Yeah, and all these other instances that Vicky's already had these feelings and things happen if she didn't make them up. So yeah, at this point... I'm sure you could cut the tension with a knife. Shortly after the deaths of the pets, another unspeakable thing happens to Vicky. This woman just cannot catch a break. She should have moved the hell away from there. Yeah. Vicky checks her mail and underneath a few letters discovers what she believes to be a pipe bomb. Now this right here is, I mean, this is a whole another level of crazy and it would freak me the hell out. She immediately phones police. Investigators arrive and clear the bomb. At first, they think it's probably just some kind of twisted prank, but the bomb squad quickly realizes this is a well-constructed pipe bomb. This is an active device that had the potential to go off and maim or kill. It's made with a 2-inch by 10-inch steel piece of pipe. Inside the bomb, it's filled with smokeless gunpowder, which investigators note as being kind of strange or odd. Yeah, I guess I'm no gun guy, but I guess that's uh, something they don't see normally, smokeless gunpowder, because uh, if it's some prank device or something to scare someone, you typically might get, like, I don't know, firecrackers and empty them out to get the gunpowder. And they also noted, which I thought was very interesting, the threaded ends had Vaseline on them, so there would be less friction when the device went off to cause more shrapnel. So this was expertly made, had an active, a real fuse. So this was a real pop bomb. Somebody knew what they were doing. And they know that if this bomb had detonated, the shrapnel would have seriously injured Vicky or probably killed her, more likely killed her. Yeah, so at this point, I would leave town if I was Vicky, and I would like surround myself with a private security detail. I'm not even kidding. Someone's trying to kill me. While she's discussing the matter with investigators, Vicky expresses her concern, and she tells them about the bird, the bomb, and how she feels like she's being stalked. Much to her disgust, detectives are dismissive of her declarations. They kind of see Vicky as this emotional, hysterical woman who's going through a bad divorce, and perhaps she's doing some of these things to herself, again, for attention or... To, like, make her ex look like the bad guy. Yeah, because they're still actively working through the courts for custody and such. So I think maybe in their eyes, um, if they know the whole story... See, here's what I hate about men in particular and, and cops. If they know the whole story that uh, he has a new woman, 
she's hot. They're yucking about that. They're yucking it up. You know, you know, kind of kidding around about, ooh, you know, I bet she does hate that. And they're not taking this woman seriously. Well, who, let's face it. And men, you can at me. I don't give a fuck because it's true. You guys do not like emotional, hysterical women. Loud when, woman's being a bitch. When you see a woman who is hysterical, upset, emotional, you disregard her. She's being a witch, a bitch, whatever you want to call it. She's this, just this, this crazy, hysterical woman. Oh, you know, them hormones. Oh, them women's... She's probably on her period. I they, mean, that's the I'm kind saying. of bullshit that men say. They, and, and yes, men and women handle things differently. Right. Women are emotional creatures. And yes, when we get upset, we're going to let you know. Yeah. And but I, that doesn't mean that these concerns should totally not be taken seriously. Whoa, whoa. You're being a little emotional right now? You're being up in... You're like you're being really... A forthcoming with your uh, enunciations of words and stuff. Are you being a bitch at me right now? You want to fuck around and find out? No, but this is truly <laughs> what these dumbass guys do that in the back of their mind. And uh, at the same time, this is when I know they're busy with all kinds of stuff. It's hard being a cop and investigator. It really is. But this is when you need that cop with instincts to say, hey, wait a minute. I mean, once you get the device and see it's real and all this... This is the time for them to stop, step in, go take a hard look at the husband, the ex, have a conversation with everyone in the household, and say, this is a big deal, and this stops now until we figure out what's going on. But brushing her off is the worst thing they could do. Well, at minimum, if you feel that these things could be related to your ex and the custody situation, then go get a restraining order. That's true. Figure out a, a way to meet drop the kids off at a police station, the sheriff's department, don't go to his house, don't have any contact outside of your lawyers. I mean, I just feel like there were things that these officers could have directed her to do it's that true. might have helped alleviate some of this. But from perhaps. her her perspective, from a personal perspective, I had a horrible breakup with uh, someone I was with for a very long time. And yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> you experienced some of that with me. But no, what happens is when you keep going to the system and, and you know, it keeps leveling up at every turn, you feel like the system's failing you. When even if you are presented with these other steps, at a certain point, you're just like, it's not going to fucking help. It's not going to help. So, I mean, that can that's what can happen there. And, and that's how the system can systemically fail you the entire way. So, I mean, there's that aspect as well. Oh, my God, am I the Mary Jean in the story? Oh, yeah, you're the hot girl out there working the roses. The busty girl with the... Mm, baby, yeah, you got them busts. With the garden, oh, the, gardening yeah. the pruning shears. I like them boobies. Okay. Okay. So Vicky is wounded by these assertions, and believing no one is taking her seriously and feeling completely defeated, Vicky further spirals out of control. She attempts suicide by taking peel, pills. I'm so country. Peels. She starts taking some pills. She enters into a coma. So she had, she had a attempted suicide and looked like she was serious because she did it to the point where it almost killed her. While she's in the hospital, Seth and Joey go to her house to do some reconnaissance work, just trying to figure out what's going on with Vicky. And the pair find several notes in the home. One is written to Seth, and it's a very contentious, nasty note. Yeah, it's like, I hate you for all you've done to me, blah, blah, blah. But I will say it's inappropriate, very inappropriate, given everything that's happened. I know he might have purchased that house and feel some type of ownership there as well. 
And, and it's like you said, they should have broke off contact. They shouldn't be comfortable enough to go inside each other's house. That's inappropriate for Seth to go there. Let I alone agree. With, with he had no business going to Vicky's house. No, he did not. Another note is written to her mother, Lois, declaring she inherit everything. So these are suicide notes. Yes, that all of Vicky's money, the house, everything would go to her mother. And the note doesn't mention anything about leaving any type of inheritance for the kids. There's no note for the kids. And so he's dragging the the young man. What was his name? Joey. Joey. So Joey's going along for the ride again, inappropriate. These are adult situations. And Joey's seeing all this, seeing these letters, reading them himself. And then they make another discovery that is is a, a big deal as well. In the kitchen, Joey and Seth find something else that's so unsettling. On the counter is yogurt, and it's the brand that is Sam's favorite. And if you'll remember, Sam is the biological son, and he's a little kid. And he has this specific type of yogurt that was like his absolute favorite. It's his flavor. It's on the counter and has pills crushed up in the yogurt. They yeah. end up finding pills by it. They can see where, obviously, it's been crushed up and placed in this yogurt. And Joey becomes convinced that Vicky wants to kill his little brother. So maybe she had a plan to take herself out and his his, his brother for all intents and purposes. And uh, so, yeah, so this is, now he's having feelings towards Vicky. Like, oh, my God, you know, she's a monster. You know, damn her. That's the conclusion that he comes to is that Vicky wanted to kill herself and take Sam with her. And this enrages Joey. I mean, he's already struggling to maintain any semblance of relationship with this woman who's his adopted mother. Yeah, I can only imagine all this. It seems as if she's kind of checked out of being that mother figure. The conflicting feelings in this young man are just too many to name. And so he, he's kind of like infatuated with the new woman. And uh, he has these... Uh, he all pro- probably almost feels like his the, the mother that he's known like kind of pushed him away. Yeah. and His he's, father, Seth, is the only person that's there for him and in his life. But he's got Seth in this ear. Right. Talking shit about Vicky and, and doing everything to sort of alienate... Joey from her. Yep, and he stepped up as they've both been dealing with uh, their situation between them, kind of been par- parent, been a parental figure for the young Sam. So, I mean, this young man has all these emotions cranking around. He's walking around with his little heart on, looking at old Miss uh, Boobs out. So, yeah, this dude is all twisted up. He's in love with Mary Jean. Oh, my God. He better stop that mess. I think uh, Rick James wrote a song about that, maybe. Two weeks later, which is late August of 1996, a neighbor is concerned that Vicky hasn't been seen for a few days. The neighbor calls police asking for a welfare check and also wants to file a missing persons report. When police arrive at Vicky's house, they find Lois there and she's very concerned. She hasn't heard from her daughter in some days. And, and this concerns her again. They're really close. I mean, they're the kind of mother daughter who speak every day multiple times a day. Lois is at the house all the time. Yeah, they eat dinner together. I mean, they're, they're just, it's a daily contact multiple times. So, yeah, I could assume that she's very concerned. Lois allows police inside the home. They find nothing unusual or out of place. There's dirty dishes in the sink. The cats haven't been fed, but there's clearly no sign that Vicky has, like, taken off on her own. They don't find any missing luggage. 
nothing seems to be out of place as far as clothing, personal items, or toothbrushes there. Lois tells police that Vicky is an animal lover and that she would never intentionally leave her animals without food and water. So these are Dirty all, litter box. Yeah, these are all the signs that are going to make you even more worried. While snooping around the home for clues, police find a letter. It was from Joey, addressed to Vicky. The letter was extremely disturbing with inflammatory language informing her of how much he wishes she would die. The world would be better off without her and just how much he hates her. And the kind of thing of like, I wish when you had tried to kill yourself, it would have worked. Yeah, that's, that's sad. You're not my real mother. And then it states how Vicky is unwell and that Sam is in danger around her. That she needs to, you know, give up custody of Sam. She doesn't have any business raising him and she's in danger to her son. Yeah, so all these thoughts and emotions swirling around his head, he put them down on paper as far as his feelings toward her. And I think that's a that actually says a lot. Well, obviously, you know, this note is of interest to investigators. A few hours later, Vicky's car is found abandoned with keys in the ignition near Seabrook. Okay. It's a wooded area. There's no sign of a struggle. The vehicle doesn't yield any evidence. There's no blood, nothing suspicious. But it begs the question, you know, why would Vicky be in this area? Like, this is not the kind of place that she would just go for no reason. Yeah, in most areas, I mean, we do it around, even here, you get on me about leaving the keys in the, you know, driveway ignition, and the ignition in the driveway. So when you when you find a car or someone's missing, and there's the car unlocked in working order with the keys in the ignition, that's never a good sign. With no real reason for her to be there. I mean, it's one thing if she was like an avid hiker, and they could say, okay, well, we can explain away, she's probably out in the woods hiking, or right. she's uh, doing this or that. But Vicky was not the kind of woman that would just drive to some random wooded area and vanish. And be gone all day. Or days. It was not until April 10th of 1997 that Vicky is found. So some months. We're talking August to April. And I'm going to assume she's not in good shape. Well, in the meantime, Seth becomes a prime suspect in his ex-wife's disappearance. He meets with police, admits he had custody issues and a pending divorce with Vicky, but he says they were working toward a resolution and a settlement. He's very cooperative, but investigators know, despite having any evidence, the ex is usually the person. Well, that has happened so many times. It's the reason for that cliche, the ex did it. And you also, even outside of the ex, who stands to gain from this person disappearing? He stood to gain a lot. From her disappearing. Well, and on top of it, he's an attorney. Right. He knows how this works. Exactly. It is not difficult for him to manipulate, cast suspicion elsewhere. I mean, no. this is what the man does. Even if he's not in criminal law, which I'm not sure what type of law he did, he know he knows. He's been through the whole... He knows. He knows how it works. Investigators keep trying to work different angles in the case. Seth admits during the investigation, you know, he is a big gun collector. He's an avid hunter. He's got a huge arsenal of weapons. I mean, he makes no bones about, yeah, I've got all these weapons and guns and so what. In the neighborhood, rumors are swirling about Mary Jean and Joey. Well, they've been talking about this household, you know how people do, and gossiping about the whole situation. And I'm sure that the tongues are a wagon. 
the scandalous talk among neighbors and just folks around, including some of the teenagers in town, is that Joey's hitting that. Well, that's not good. Would 33-year-old Mary Jean be sleeping with her 14-year-old soon-to-be stepson? There's so many reasons that that should not happen. Later, (laughs) Joey's friends would testify that Joey was having a sexual relationship with this adult woman. Mary Jean would adamantly deny that this was the case. She was not involved with this boy. She would never. This is shocking news. She doesn't know why people would say this. Who knows? Also, in her, her eyes, it's just a kid carrying on, maybe trying to be cool. But she would never, ever do that. During the investigation, police question Mary Jean, but she doesn't crack. She indicates she knows nothing about Vicky's disappearance. But police are not happy with these answers. They confront Mary Jean about the pipe bomb. During their investigation, the bomb squad has found hairs inside the bomb, but they're not human. They belong to a dog. Oh, yeah. Well, I know somebody had a dog. They love that dog. storms out of the meeting. One of the officers kind of follows her outside and says, you know, this isn't over, right? And she just sort of scoffs at him and leaves. Then the investigation cracks wide open. And this is how all this plays out. It's pretty interesting. So we're fast forward April of 97. A phone call from the local high school to police proves to be just the clue they need in finding Vicky. Joey is at school, and he's got a swollen face, some bruising. Of course, teachers are concerned and send him to the nurse, who in turn calls law enforcement. Joey tells police that he got into a fist fight with his father, Seth. Uh-oh. He's upset. He goes on to say that his father has become increasingly volatile in the past couple of months, often resulting in physical altercations between the two. Yeah, so it's just it's, it's the whole situation still just going down the drain, just swirling the drain. Police seize the opportunity to apply pressure on the young man. Joey breaks, admitting to police that he terrorized his adoptive mother, Vicky. He tells police he killed her bird. He acted with Seth to coordinate the psychological attacks on Vicky. So all the stuff she'd been complaining about all this time was really happening. Joey also admits that he placed the pipe bomb in Vicky's mailbox. He says Seth had built it, but wanted Joey to put it in the box, which he did. Oh, my God. So that, that's so sad for her, Vicky because she really did, like, had all these feelings. Someone's watching me. My tires are slashed. Things are moved around. This is psychological warfare to make her look like she's crazy. It's like gaslighting her. And her ex and her, basically her son, she took this kid and raised him as son, Are the people doing it to her? When Vicky continued refusing to give Seth full custody of Sam and that pipe bomb didn't work, Seth moved on to plotting other ways to get Vicky out of the picture. Vicky was murdered on August 24th, 1996, and her body was found in a grave in Waterboro, Maine on April 10th, 1997. Police were led to the body by 14-year-old Joey. In December of 1997, Joey agreed with the state to enter a plea of true to a juvenile delinquency petition, confessing that he assisted in helping Seth murder Vicky. Oh, so now he's state witness, and it's all, yeah, it's broke wide open. They have everything they need now to move forward. According to Joey, Seth waited until it was Vicky's visitation weekend or whatever with Sam. The pair normally did the exchange at the Bader household, Vicky's former residence. 
When Vicky arrived on August 24th, Joey and Sam met her outside. Joey told her Seth was inside the house in the living room and wanted to speak with her. Then Joey took Sam away, you know, kind of down the street a little bit to play while the adults talked. Vicky went inside the house calling out for Seth. And while she's waiting in the living room, Seth creeps up behind her, placing a gun to the back of her ear. He then pulls the trigger. Now that's like a mob hit. Instantly, Vicky falls to the ground, dead. There was minimal blood on the floor. Joey comes inside the house. Seth orders him to help carry Vicky's body outside to the Jeep. Yeah, I mean, that's like literally some shit out of a movie. Walk come up right behind the ear, small caliber weapon. Bullet stays inside the brain, minimal blood, easy cleanup. What a damn monster. The two scoop Vicky up and carry her out to the trunk of Seth's Jeep. Then they go inside and wipe up the blood that's left behind. Seth then calls Sandro Studo, a hired thug, to pick up Vicky's car and drop it off. Then the father and son take Vicky's body to Maine, where they bury it in a shallow grave. You reckon where you find a thug or a henchman at? You think there's like a union or something? What? A Facebook page? article I read said that Sandro Studo had been a client ah, of Seth's. okay. But then other information kind of so a little contradictory and says that Mary Jean helped to hire these thugs. Okay, I thought you could just call their local and, like, you know, say I need a thug next week or a henchman to do some dirty work for the me. The henchman union? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into more of this here in just a minute. During a search of the Bader home, investigators find a gun room with tons of guns, ammunition, some smokeless powder, antique bullets, including copper bullets, which are no longer manufactured or sold. But it just so happens that that's the bullet in Vicky's head, a 22 caliber copper bullet. Now, I gotta say, I'm glad that he's a dumbass. So all this unravels and they find out what really happens. But, I mean, picking an antique bullet or a bullet out of production to shoot someone with is stupid. You know, I would go get the the most mass-produced, whatever, three states over, get someone to go in and buy, I mean, whatever, anything besides an antique fucking bullet that is not in production that I have boxes of in my gun room. Well, this is why you haven't been caught yet. Oh, honey. That is why I haven't been caught. Later when questioned again, Mary Jean changes her tune. Now, Mary Jean describes Vicky as a troublemaker who was dead set on ruining their lives. Seth was growing more and more angry with Vicky. She tells officers that Seth plotted to kill Vicky. She didn't have all the details, but on the evening of August 24th, Joey and Seth allegedly went to dinner together. And when they returned, his Jeep was covered in mud and they were wearing new clothes. Oh, yeah. I have dinners like that all the time. She really didn't give any solid evidence to investigators. But that was her story. She's going to stick to it. She's distancing herself because we better believe. we. I'm sure we all believe that she's the type of person who's not going to take the fall for anybody. At Seth's trial in April and May of 1998 in New Hampshire State Court, Joey testifies against Seth for four trial days. 
The gist of the testimony was that Seth and his girlfriend, Mary Jean Martin, had plotted to murder Vicky, that Seth had hired Sandro Studo to assist in the murder and to dispose of Vicky's car, that Seth had traveled to Maine with Joey a few days before the murder, they located a spot in the woods together, and dug a grave. Oh, okay. And that Joey had kept Seth's younger son outside the house while the murder was being committed. Say, even he's a young person, still juvenile, but I don't understand how, I know his emotions are all mixed up and he has all these thoughts and he has Seth in his ear, like, you know, some silver-tongued whatever and poisoning his thoughts and feelings. I've seen that happen to kids too. But being an active participant in a murder of someone who was a mother figure to you, that's got to say something about you too. I mean, you're kind of fucked. Joey says he didn't witness the murder, but according to his testimony, he'd been called back into the house by Studo after the murder and witnessed his adoptive father emerging from the basement with a rifle barrel and a spent casing. Joey then helped clean up the blood. Oh, wow. Joey also testified that Seth had told him earlier that he, Seth, was going to shoot Vicky. So he's like, my dad told me he was going to shoot her. Joey further testified that he had then helped Seth transport, transport and bury Vicky's body in Maine, and that on the way home, the two had gone shopping for new clothes because, you know, they were covered in blood and dirt and stuff. So he was smart enough to, he's getting rid of the barrel. Sounds like he used some kind of short rifle or something. He's taking the barrel, so that can't be compared. It won't be in his collection. And, uh, and going through all these precautions, but he still slipped up and just grabbed a bullet. That happens to be the antique bullet. A woman who had regularly cleaned the Bader house testified to statements that Seth and his girlfriend wished Vicky were dead. Vicky's doctor said that Vicky had told him that she remained overweight so that her body would be hard to move if she were killed. Oh my God. She was so paranoid and concerned and knew that something wasn't right that she even confided in her doctor. That she thought someone was going to kill her. But unfortunately, like you pointed out earlier, she didn't break off contact. She didn't insist that we exchange um, our son back and forth at uh, a public place at the police department, at the church patrol parking lot, <laughs> which a lot of good does that does if they don't help you if something happens. Just saying. But, yeah, so she, she unfortunately... As scared as she was and all this weird stuff going on, she still missed some things she could have done to protect herself. Well... I have my mom come with me all the time. I understand. I mean, you never want to think that your partner, even your ex, is capable of harming you in this way. And she probably still had some hope that they were going to be able to work things out as far as, you know, settling the custody and you know she was just a really trusting person and i think she just didn't even though all this stuff was going on she just didn't want to admit that seth could be responsible or that he could be so dangerous yeah and all these which is weird in these situations every little circumstance conceding anything these are all little mini power plays along the way so and you know when you're in the shit yeah you don't see how the situation actually is. You don't. Right? You're kind of blinded. You're in the middle of it. Emotions running There's hot. There's all the shit going on, but people who are outside, friends and family, can say, 
do this, do that. But when you're in the mix of it, you don't even listen. You know, it's it. You it's don't want to take the advice. I mean, I totally get where she's coming it's from. It's true. There was also a counselor who had once been a marriage therapist for the couple who described experiencing some similar pranks as Vicky. Oh, wow. Just weird stuff. Perhaps someone had broken into his office and tampered with some files. And yeah, stuff so like it that. sounds like these pranks could be coming from Seth. This is how he thinks. And maybe the counselor said, said he was wrong or put him down in a meeting. So maybe he's that childish. Well, the counselor even said that he believed that Seth was a sociopath, according to his time with the couple. Okay. And that he felt like Seth was completely capable of doing all these things. Wow. And that's a third party, objective third party, who's had limited, very limited contact. So that says a lot. Seth maintained his innocence. He said Mary Jean and Joey were having an affair. His defense argued that Joey and Mary Jean set him up so they could access his money. But jurors did not buy this story. The defense argued that Joseph's testimony about the time of the murder couldn't be true because Joey's testimony that Seth and Studo arrived at the New Hampshire house around 3 p.m., conflicted with the fact that Seth had been cited for a traffic violation in Massachusetts around 2.30 p.m. Yeah, but I mean, uh, if the kid's off a half hour, I mean, yeah. But that doesn't seem like enough to turn the tide on this case. The defense also noted that Joey testified to several items that should have been buried with the body, with Vicky, but they weren't there. Again, I could miss minor details, and I don't trust Joey either. Like I said, just because he's a juvenile, he doesn't get a free ride in my mind. Seth is found guilty in 1998 and given a life sentence for the murder. He is currently in New Hampshire State Prison. Lois filed a wrongful death suit and was awarded $4 million in the settlement. So she basically got access to, I'm going to guess, if not all, the majority of his estate, his, his wealth left over. During his time in prison, Seth Bader has acted as his own attorney on a myriad of motions for a new trial, just going on and on. And so Joey, the state's witnesses, he or state witness, and he's juvenile. Joey pled guilty in juvenile court, but served little in the way of punishment. The leniency given to Joey was criticized very openly by, well, just about everybody. That kind of deal probably would never happen again because prosecutors desperately needed his testimony and they went to great lengths to make sure they had that but they got so much blowback from making this sweet deal with him yeah i mean that could have gave him a reduced sentence and he's a juvenile he'd got on you know out and still lived his life so yeah they gave him a pretty i mean that's a pretty damn sweetheart deal well for his role i mean people were very critical of of the fact that this kid did this and and got nothing this responsibility in this and just walked away. Mary Jean was never formally indicted for Vicky's murder, though many feel she was an accessory and a conspirator. According to writer Kevin Flynn, who wrote a book, Legally Dead, which is a book about the case, and I did use that for today's case, found Martin living in Florida as um, late as 2011 when the book was written, so I'm not really sure where she is now, but she declined to be interviewed for the book. Martin was portrayed during the trial as a gold digger who wanted all of Seth's money for herself, but as long as Vicky was in the picture, Seth was going to have to pay her child support for their son, Sam, and Seth, it seemed, would do anything to please Mary Jean. Yeah, so I think that points to the prosecution, the strength of their case and evidence. Joey was the entire case, his testimony. 
So, I mean, they didn't have enough evidence or calls to bring in charges against her. Martin, so Mary Jean Martin, allegedly met and hired two men, Sebastian Caradona and Sandro Stuto, to carry out a campaign to terrorize Vicki Bader in the months before her death. Caradona and Stuto were both convicted for their roles in the case and have since finished their prison sentences. Studo, who was present the day that Seth shot Vicky, was deported back to his native Italy after he completed his sentence. Oh, he was a real thug. While in prison, Seth's hired hand Studo apparently recanted, saying that Joey had murdered Vicky in exchange for sexual favors from Mary Jean, and that Seth had absolutely nothing to do with the murder. Wow, I'm surprised they couldn't bring any charges at all against Mary Jean. In 2005, childhood friends of Joey came forward with statements that he had been responsible for Vicky's death. Corey Almond was interviewed on July 19th and went on record stating that Joey Bader admitted to killing his stepmother, but Joey threatened to kill him if he told authorities. Oh, God, jeez. Almond who was a college student at the time, was friends with Joey and frequently stayed at the Bader household. Another friend, Jonathan Kuyper, was waiting in a car during this interview, and then he was interviewed that same day, and he said he had urged Allman to come forward with that information because he knew it was true as well. Wow, what a damn sordid tale. A senior assistant attorney general named Will Delker said that the testimony from Bader's childhood friends provided no like new evidence and there was no need for a new trial. And he said the former friend's testimony is called impeachment evidence, which is basically just that it's hearsay and could be used to question Joey's credibility but wasn't anything really factual and that if there had been anything really like substantial, like they had been an eyewitness or something that the friends testimonies could have carried some more weight. Oh yeah. You have to have clear and obvious significant evidence to bring, you know, bring it back to trial or anything like that. The Rockingham County Superior Court judge was a man named Walter Murphy and he was the original trial judge in the 1998 conviction he took all of the new information into advisement, but ultimately, Joey was not retried for his involvement. Wow, I saw Joey got away with it, didn't he? The writer Flynn contacted Joey via email when he was writing his book, and the author has stated publicly that he felt Joey was legitimately remorseful for his role in the murder, and that he seems to have gotten his act together and is doing well. Well, I guess there's that. He was young, and he was put in a bad situation. So it's easy to make a judgments from here, but yeah. I mean, Vicky was driven to the edge as this man Seth seduced their teenage son into this violent plot to kill her in cold blood. And what followed, as you've heard, is one of the most bizarre true crime stories in New Hampshire's history. And we've just told you the whole story right here on Mountain Murders. Oh my God. Man, and I will say, I must add here at the end, because this got me thinking, if you are a step-parent, and you have sex with your stepchild, it's legally called incest. So don't do it. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, how do, even if you're not technically married and technically their step-parent, you're living in that role, a parental figure. Uh, plus, it's just a damn kid, bro. If you're 30-some years old and they're in their teens, it's fucking gross. 
I, I mean, we live in a really small town where <sighs> everybody knows everybody's business. Yep. But I totally like know a family where this happened. This happens. Mom married this man. He raised her daughter as if this were his own child. Okay. Okay. From a very tiny little girl, two, three years old toddler. Yep. This man raised her. And when she was 18, she and her stepdad ran off together. Mom and stepdad divorced. Girl got pregnant, had a baby with him. Oh, God. And everybody that knew this, people were like, How gross is that? Well, I mean, we were all just like, What the fuck? Dude, right quick. Crazy shit. I can almost one up that. Um, I knew of a uh, family. They had, you know, mom and dad moving in together. You had stepbrother, stepsister. Well, they hooked up and married and had a kid. The stepbrother and stepsister. Is that gross? Yeah, it's weird. Isn't that pretty gross? I think that's weird. Yeah. No, that's super weird. I mean, and granted, you're not blood related. You're but not. These people, you've been brought up believing these people are your family. Yeah, I mean, but then you me, have a kid. Some... Then you have a kid, and you figure out, mom, grandmom, and granddad, are, huh? And then you find out your parents were stepbrothers. So I mean, then what, what the are fuck? you end up being like double cousins or some shit? Double, uh, that's you, my double uncle. You're you're your own aunt. I'm own grandpa oh my god incest outlaws i know it's like what in the hillbilly yeehaw bullshit is that don't or it's do not it that it just happens here in appalachia that mm. sort of crazy shit happens everywhere as we know because what stepmom stepsister as we mentioned before is like the number one searched thing on Pornhub. how what is wrong with people what is wrong with you people so if you can't get enough of mountain murders which we hope you can't you can find us on Patreon, uh, on pa- over on Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar, and three dollars gets you uh, access to more content. And up, and uh, we have all kinds of content, and we'd love to see you over there. So basically, what we want you to do: tell a friend about Mountain Murders, spread the word. Yes, and of course, sign up at Patreon if you want. Hit subscribe, download all of our episodes, and if you're feeling really froggy, give us a five-star review. I'm going to beg you for that five-star review. We could really use a couple of them hot five-star reviews. Please and thank you. Yep, please. We hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with more true crime. Big Mac, Chicken McNuggets. No, Big Mac and Quarter Pounder with cheese. Or filet fish You'd be doing the same thing if you were at McDonald's because you can choose not just one, but two of your favorites for just six bucks. Tasty Big Mac, crispy 10-piece chicken McNuggets, juicy quarter pounder with cheese, or savory filet fish Enjoy two of your all-time favorites for just six bucks, if you can decide on the two. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price.